Today our passage is from Proverbs chapter 9. The way of wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks scent, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you are alone, you alone will bear it. The way of folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits in the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks scent, she says, stolen water is sweet, and the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that, that, that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Thank you, Marianna. Well, this morning we continue our sermon series in this book of Proverbs, and we come to chapter 9. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know chapter 9 is, is kind of the, the climax. It's the conclusion to the introduction of Proverbs. It's kind of a long introduction, but the first, the actual Proverbs don't start until chapter 10, verse 1, and really going through the rest of the book. And so we'll get there next week. Uh, but these first nine chapters are, are just the introduction to the Proverbs that we're going to see uh, starting in, in chapter 10. And if you remember, this, this whole introduction really has one primary purpose. And that primary purpose is to remind us about the importance of wisdom, the benefits of wisdom, the value of wisdom. That by the end of chapter 9, that what the author Solomon wants to do and is, is wanting the the the, the recipients of, of, of Proverbs, the readers of Proverbs to feel is, is this earnest longing and desire for wisdom. And so he's, here's the benefits of wisdom, here's the value of wisdom, here's, here's the importance of wisdom and everything that wisdom will do. And so then when he actually gets to the Proverbs, which speak this wisdom in chapter 10, will be all ears. We'll be like on the edge of our seat, just longing to hear and to receive these proverbs of wisdom. And that, that's the impact that these first nine chapters, this introduction to the proverbs, are to have on our hearts and on our lives. And that's the impact that, that especially chapter nine is to have on our hearts and on our lives as well. That as we come to chapter nine here, what we're going to see, as Marianna just read, are these two different ladies, these two different women who are competing with each other and who are vying for our attention and our affection. Or if you're here this morning and you're a, you're a lady, you're, you're a female, you can think of these as, as two different men. Okay, would, would that be more helpful for you maybe? Um, who, are, who are competing with each other, who are fighting over you. They're vying for you and your attention, and your affection. They want you to come to their house and eat with them, and dine with them, and do other things with, with them. Anyway, the, the names, and we'll let you, anyway, we're not going there. We, that was earlier in Proverbs. But the name of, of these two ladies are, on one hand, one side of the street, you have Lady Wisdom. The other side of the street, you have Lady Folly. And so Lady Wisdom, if you remember, is the personification of God's wisdom. And Lady Folly is the personification of foolishness, of folly of the world. And so each of these ladies then, here we are walking down the street, 
And each of these ladies are, are calling out to us, trying to lure us into their home to eat with them. They're inviting us to come to their home and dine with them. And so then as we go throughout chapter 9, the question that we're going to be confronted with this morning is this. Which of these women are we going to choose? Which of these women are we going to choose to dine with? Which of these homes are we going to go into and enter? Are we going to choose Lady Wisdom and live our lives then according to God's wisdom? Are we going to choose Lady Folly and live our lives according to the folly and the foolishness of the world in which we live? Like that, that's the choice. That's what this whole chapter is about. That's the choice that we're going to be confronted with when it comes to chapter 9 here this morning. But if you think about it, this is the same exact choice that we're confronted with day after day after day after day. That this is it. Not just day after day after day, but many times moment after moment after moment. That when we're in a conversation with someone else, then, then we hear the voice of Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is calling out. She's inviting us to, to her house, and she's saying, speak the truth. Be, be honest. Don't, don't, don't just put a spin on things and tell a little white lie. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is calling out and inviting us and saying, it's okay to tell a little white lie. It's okay to gossip. Go ahead and slander. Use harsh words against them. Or when you're angry, Lady Wisdom is calling out and inviting us into her house and saying, be patient. Control your emotions. Explore in your heart what, what it is that's causing you to become angry. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is crying out and inviting us and saying, Vent, just let it rip. Let them have it. Or when you're tempted by sexual sin, Lady Wisdom's calling out, inviting us into her house and saying, That that person you're lusting after, he or she, she he or she is, isn't yours. That, that's the path of death. Don't do it. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is crying out and saying, Go for it. Enjoy it. Don't restrain your urges. Fulfill those urges. Fulfill those desires inside of you. So then in those moments, the question is, which one of these invitations are we going to accept? In those moments of temptation, are we going to dine, go and dine with Lady Wisdom and go to her house and live according to God's wisdom? Or in those moments, are we going to go dine with Lady Folly and live according to the folly and the foolishness of the world. Which of these women are we going to choose? So this is what the whole chapter is all about this morning. That within this chapter, what we're going to see are, are, are two reasons for why in those moments, two reasons in those moments for why we should choose and accept Lady Wisdom's invitation and live according to God's wisdom and why we should not choose Lady Folly's invitation and live according to the foolishness and the folly of the world. Two reasons. After we see these reasons then, we're going to see two different characteristics then of those who have accepted Lady Wisdom's invitation and how her wisdom then changes our lives and changes our behavior and changes our affections and how we live and how we go about living our lives. And so my prayer is, as we go through all this is that in those moments then where we're confronted with these choices of wisdom or folly, in our everyday lives, that, that these reasons that we see here would compel us to say no to folly and to say yes uh, to God's wisdom. So here's, here's the two reasons for why we should receive and accept Lady Wisdom's invitation. The first reason is this. You see it on your handout there if you have a handout. But the first reason is this. It's because Lady Wisdom's invitation is far superior to Lady Folly's. Lady Wisdom's invitation is far superior to Lady Folly. So let's compare here kind of these two invitations that are extended to us. Lady Folly's invitation and comparing that or contrasting that with Lady um, Wisdom's invitation. So first let's see that the invitation of Lady Wisdom. We see it here in verses 1 through 6. And the first thing we see about her invitation is her preparation. Her preparation. We see her preparation there in verses 1 and 2. Look there with me at verse 1. Solomon says, Wisdom has built her house. She has 
hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So do you see what's going on here? That before she even, Lady Wisdom, even begins to make this, extend this invitation, she makes all these preparations in advance for this feast that she's going to invite us to. And so do you see all this in preparation she goes through? She builds a house. Like she doesn't have somebody, that doesn't mean she has somebody come in and build, build it for her. She builds it. Like with her own hands. And, and we see that, that it's not just a small little dinky little house. It's a big, stinking, huge, humongous house. And the reason we know that is because verse 1 says that it had seven pillars. Like in that day, houses didn't have pillars. And so then if this house had seven pillars, that means it was a really big house. Not only that, but if you know anything about the Bible, you know that that number seven is an important number in the Bible. It's, it signifies completion or perfection, meaning this house, it didn't lack anything. It was perfect. It was large. It was complete. Not only that, verse 2, did you catch that? It says that she also slaughtered her own beast. In other words, she didn't just cook it, her meat. She killed her meat. Like with her own, like with her bare hands, she slaughtered the beast. And again, this would have been a big deal in that day because meat in that day would have been like a luxury item. Not only that, if you go on, she mixed her wine, which means that she mixed like honey and she mixed spices to her wine for, for taste, to make it more special, to make it more appealing. It goes on there in verse 2 that she arranged a beautiful table also for her guests that would come. And so that's all the preparation that she went through before she extends her invitation. And what we're supposed to feel after we read through all this preparation, what we're supposed to see and feel is that, man, this is a lavish feast. This is an extravagant feast. The best food, the best drink, the best house, the best table is all the preparation that Lady Wisdom is going through to prepare this feast that she's going to invite us to. So that's her preparation. Next then we notice in verses 3 through 6, her invitation. Look at her invitation there in verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Her young women here would have been a reference to her female servants that she sends out to the highest places in town. So probably there's some dispute here if this is a reference to a temple or if this is a reference to the city walls. Either way, her, she's sending out her servants to, to publicly and loudly invite people to this lavish feast that she's prepared. But look at who she specifically calls here in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So then do you see who she's inviting to this feast that she's prepared? She's inviting, Solomon says, the simple or those who lack sense. That's a reference to the same group of people here. In other words, the simple are those who lack sense. The lack sen those who lack sense here are the simple. And if you remember here, we've seen this group, this, this word simple, all throughout the book of Proverbs up to this point. That the simple is a reference to the naive. It's a reference to the gullible. And specifically within these first nine chapters here, it's a reference to the uncommitted. It means it's a reference to those people who, who haven't chosen a path yet that they're going to walk down. They haven't chosen the path of wisdom yet. They haven't chosen the path of folly yet. Instead, they're they're undecided, they're still open-minded, they're uncommitted, but yet they're easily persuaded to walk, down, to walk down either of these paths. In many ways, this would be like the young person, right? They haven't committed exactly, they still have a lot of life left to live, a lot of journey, a lot of journey on their path to, to go on, but they haven't decided and committed which path they're going to walk on. They're easily persuaded in, in that way. And so here you have Lady Wisdom then. You can just hear her, right? 
her female servants calling out, extending this invitation to those who are, who are simple. Come, come to my house, eat with me. I, I've got the best meat, I've got the best drink, I've got the, I got the fanciest table, I've got the biggest house, I've got this great lavish feast that I've pre- made all this time and energy to prepare just for you. So come and eat and drink and dine with me. That's the invitation that Lady Wisdom is making here. If we jump down then, and don't worry, we'll pick back up in verses 7 through 12 here in just a minute. But if we jump down to verse 13, we see what's happening on the other side of the road. And on the other side of the road then, we see Lady Folly's invitation. And as we see Lady Folly's invitation, the first thing that Solomon tells us about Lady Folly is he tells us about her character. And look what Solomon says about her character here in verse 13. He says, the woman Folly is loud. (laughs) That that word loud means rowdy. It means boisterous. It means unruly. In other words, it means she causes, because she's so loud, because she's so boisterous, she causes a lot of commotion. She causes a lot of uproar, a lot of disruption, disturbance because of her loudness and her how boisterous she is but that's not all she he goes on to say she's also seductive and she knows nothing when he says here that she knows nothing that doesn't mean that she she doesn't know anything at all like she knows what two plus two is right so there are some things she she knows Instead, what it means here is that she, she's morally ignorant. It means that morally speaking, she, she's clueless. She doesn't know anything. She's not wise morally. So then put all that together, right? She's rowdy, she's boisterous, she's seductive, and she's morally clueless and ignorant. So that's her character. That leads then to... Her invitation. Look at the invitation then that Lady Folly gives in verse 14. Says this She sits at the door of her house. And so the first thing you should remember when you read that is what Lady Wisdom was doing. That Lady Wisdom is making all these preparations, right? She's busy building a house, slaughtering a beast, mixing this great special fancy wine putting together this fancy table. Lady Folly, though, isn't doing any of that. Lady Folly's just sitting on her, on her rump, hope I can say that, um, in, at the door of her house. Um, and you're like, why, why, why is that? Like, wh- why isn't Lady Folly going through, making all the preparations that Lady Wisdom made? Well, we'll see the answer to that here in just a moment. But look at the rest of verse 14. It also says, she takes a seat on the highest places of the town. That, that word seat there literally means and has the idea of a throne. The idea of a throne. Meaning she's assuming a position of power. She's assuming this position of authority that's not really hers, that she doesn't really have. She's just claiming it for herself. As if she's about to speak like ex-cathedra. She's about to speak with power. She's about to speak with authority. But she really doesn't have it. But look at what she says when she speaks. And the invitation she makes there in verse 15. She's calling to those who pass by. Who are going straight on their way. And here's what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So then do you notice what's going on here? She's calling out to the same exact group that Lady Wisdom was calling out to. She's inviting the same exact group to her party and to her feast that Lady Wisdom was inviting. The the simple, the uncommitted, who haven't yet chosen which path, the the path of wisdom or the path of folly, that they're going to go down. And so then on the one side of the road, there's Lady Wisdom, right? Calling out and saying, turn here. Turn in here. Come and eat with me. 
But on the other side of the road, Lady Folly is coming out to the same group and saying, no, 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 you don't want to go there. You want to turn in here and you want to come eat with me. And so they're fighting over, they're competing after the same exact group of people. But look at verse 17 and what Lady Follow is offering them. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So do you see the contrast here between these two invitations? between what Lady Wisdom is offering and what Lady Folly is offering. Lady Wisdom is offering this big, lavish feast. Best meat, best drink, best table, big, extravagant, fancy house. Well, on the other side of the street, Lady Folly is offering some stolen water and some bread. Which is exactly why then, Lady Folly didn't go through all the trouble of preparing things like Lady Wisdom did, right? That she didn't have to go through all the trouble making all these preparations and slaughtering a beast and mixing wine and making a fancy table and all that stuff. And do you know why? Because she just went out and stole what she was going to offer. Just stole a bottle of water from Hy-Vee. Just stole a loaf of bread from your favorite grocery store in-house, want to make sure they're all represented. So since she went out and stole just some, some goods, there's no sense in her spending all that time and energy preparing anything. But compare these two offers, right, from these two women. On one that side of the street, Lady Wisdom, lavish feast, best meat, best wine, beautiful set table, great big house, the other side of the street, Lady Wisdom got some stolen water and got some bread. Which at first glance, when you hear that, right, you think like, <laughs> like that's not even a choice. What's so hard about that decision? Like why in the world would anybody in the right mind choose some stolen water and bread over a lavish feast of meat and wine? Like, nobody in their right mind would do that. And listen, that's the point. That's the point. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nobody in their right mind would have, like, Joe's Kansas City over here and a bottle of water and a loaf of bread over here and say, forget that Z-Man, I'll, I'll chew on some bread. You don't do that. That doesn't make sense. And again, that's the point. It's to show how foolish and ridiculous it is to not live our lives and not to pursue God's wisdom and instead to pursue after and live our lives according to the foolishness and the folly of the world in which we live. Like put in this way, with this sort of analogy and illustration, it's easy to think, well, obviously you choose this, not that. But we do this all the time. Like all the time. I mean, just think about it. When we choose to engage in lust and sexual sin rather than live in purity, then in that moment we're choosing stolen water and bread rather than a lavish feast. That when we choose to lash out in anger instead of controlling our emotions, then we're choosing stolen water and bread rather than a lavish feast. When we choose to live in isolation from others rather than live in meaningful friendship with others, then we're choosing stolen water and bread rather than a lavish feast. That any time we choose not to live according to God's wisdom and instead live according to the folly and foolishness of the world, then we're choosing stolen water and bread rather than a lavish feast. And don't get me wrong, that, that, that stolen water and bread, 
it does have some immediate gratification. It does look good. It does have some short-term pleasure and fulfillment, but it won't last. It won't ultimately satisfy. It won't ultimately bring us the joy and the fulfillment like living according to God's wisdom. God's wisdom for us. So like that's, that's the first reason now that we should accept Lady Wisdom's invitation, live our lives according to God's wisdom, not the foolishness of the world. Because Lady Wisdom's invitation is a lavish feast, whereas Lady Folly's invitation is just some stolen bread and some, some water. Second reason we should accept her invitation, live our lives according to God's wisdom, is this. It's because Lady Wisdom's invitation leads to life, while Lady Folly's invitation leads to death. This is what Lady Wisdom's going to go on to tell those that she invites here in verse 6. Look there with me back up uh, there in verse 6. In verse 5 again, she invites the simple. She says, come and eat, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. And then in verse 6, she says, leave your simple ways. And here it comes. And live. And live. That's, that's the outcome. That, that's the end result right there of those who accept Lady Wisdom's invitation and who go to her house uh, to feast and to, to dine with her. That if you accept her invitation, if you go to her feast, if you choose Lady Wisdom, if you choose to live your life according to God's wisdom, then the end result of that, the outcome of that, is that you will live. You'll, you'll live. Meaning, first of all, you'll, you'll live forever. Which means, number one, you'll, you'll live a full, abundant life now in this life as, as you feast in the Lord's wisdom. But then after you die, you'll like live forever. Like, like for all, trillions of years from now, like forever. You'll live forever in a never-ending feast in the presence of God for all of eternity. That's the end result, the outcome of those who choose Lady Wisdom. At the same time, though, contrast that with those who accept Lady Folly's invitation. Those who go to Lady Folly's house to eat and dine with her and live their lives according to the foolishness of the world. We see the outcome of, of accepting Lady Folly's invitation here in verse 18. So skip down to verse 18 there. It says, but he does not know that the dead are there meaning in her house, Lady Folly's house, those who've gone to dine with her and eat with her, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is a reference to the grave, the place of the dead. So contrast that, right? This is the outcome right here of those who accept Lady Folly's invitation who go to her house to dine and eat. Every single one of her guests die. Her house is a graveyard. Everybody who goes to her house to eat dies. They end up in a grave. Yet somehow, someway, and this is kind of the interesting part here, Lady Folly, in her invitation, she just conveniently forgets to mention this. Like, you notice that? When Lady Wisdom extended her invitation in verse 5 and then down into verse 6, she lets everybody know that the outcome of what will happen if, if people come to her house, she says, leave your simple ways, come here and, and live. So she tells him, you come here, you're going to live. Lady Folly, though, just says, come, come here and, and turn in here. I got some stolen water and some, some bread. It takes the narrator... Not Lady Folly, but the narrator to let us know the outcome and what will happen to us if we go into Lady Folly's house. Because Lady Folly's not going to tell us. And that's what foolishness does, right? Folly, foolishness isn't going to tell you what's going to happen to you if you go dine with her and live your life according to foolishness and folly. But that's how folly works, right? That's how the foolishness of the world works, right? Like, it's a death trap. It's, it's what I described just a couple weeks ago. It's chocolate poison. Like, on the outside, man, it looks yummy. 
It looks delicious, like you're, you're licking your lips, really, really appealing. You, you desire it from the outside. But then you take a bite of it, and it kills you. It literally kills you. It destroys you. It destroys you in this life now, meaning it brings all sorts of brokenness and pain and destruction in this life now, but it will ultimately kill you and destroy you in the life to come in hell. So you suffer a life of eternal conscious torment under the wrath of God, like forever. So like, let's get really practical just for a second. Think about an area in your life in which you give in to lady folly the most. In which you're most tempted to go dine with lady folly. Think about that area in your life. It might be sexual sin for some. It might be anger for others. It might be pride and self-centeredness for others. Whatever that is, what's that area in your life? The next time you're tempted then in this area, Remember these two reasons we just looked at. Thursday night, 9 p.m. Like I talked about it last week a lot. Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. Tuesday morning at 8 p.m. Whatever it is, whenever that is where that temptation comes, you're walking down that road, Lady Wisdom's calling after you, Lady Folly's calling after you, and there's that area of your life in which you, you want to go dine with Lady Folly. You, you, there's this desire, this temptation to go and, and dine with her in this specific area of your life and live your life according to foolishness of the world. In those moments, remember that whatever you're being tempted after, it's just stolen water. Just some stolen bread. It's pleasurable for a moment, but it won't satisfy you. It won't fulfill you. It won't bring you the ultimate joy you're looking for. Instead, you continue on in that, it'll kill you and lead you to death. So then those are two reasons for why we should accept Lady Wisdom's invitation and not Lady Folly's invitation. Let's conclude then with this, these, these two characteristics of those who's, who've accepted Lady Wisdom's invitation and, and God's wisdom. There's two characteristics then. So let's say you, you choose Lady Wisdom. What's, what's the, what's, what will be the, the change in your life? What will be the, the difference that will make in your life? What will now characterize your life as a result of choosing Lady Wisdom and following after God's wisdom? Well, Solomon mentions two characteristics here. We see them in verses 7 through 12 here. And the first characteristic is this. You see it on your handout there. Is that you will humbly receive correction. You will humbly receive correction. This is what we see specifically in verse 7 all the way through verse 9. Look there with me. Verse 7 says this. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So then what Solomon's doing here is he's once again contrasting two different groups of people, right? He's contrasting wicked scoffers on one hand and he's contrasting with them with those who are wise and those who are, are righteous. And what he's doing is he's describing how these two different groups then respond to correction. He's describing how these two different groups, the, the, the wise and righteous and the, the wicked scoffers, how they respond to correction and how they respond to reproof. And so then first he says those who are scoffers, and the word scoffer is just another, another name or another word for mockers. They, they fight back, right? They, they fight back, they, they abuse, they injure those who seek to correct them and re- reprove them. They, it says even they hate those who seek to correct them. They hate those who seek to reprove them. So that's how wicked scoffers respond to those who seek to correct and to reprove them. On the other hand, though, those who are wise, those who are righteous, 
they love those who reprove them. They, they love those who correct them because they know that those who, as a result of being corrected, they, knows, they, they know that they're going to become more wise because of, of that correction. They know that they're going to increase in learning because of that correction. And because of that, then they love, they invite correction into their life because they know they'll increase in wisdom because of the correction that they are given. And so then let's be honest, right? I mean, really, which one of these best describes you? Like, which one of these groups best describes you when others correct you? Which of these, best, which of these groups best describe you when somebody else comes into your life and speaks into your life speaks about a sin issue in your life, speaks about a concern that they have in your life, and they correct you, and they reprove you. And so like kids, let's start with kids. And everybody say, yeah, let's start with kids, yeah. How do you respond when mom or dad or teacher or whoever corrects you? How, how do you respond? Do you respond like a wicked scoffer or do you respond like one who is wise and righteous? Like husbands, wives, how do you respond when your spouse speaks into your life? How do you respond when your spouse points out something in your life and corrects you? Or at work, how do you respond when your boss corrects you? At church, how do you respond when, when a fellow church member or, or a DC leader or, or a pastor or whoever corrects you like do you get upset do you get angry do you just feel threatened and get all defensive or do you humbly listen to their critique do you humbly receive their correction does it cause you to step back and evaluate your life to determine if there's even an ounce of truth in the correction that they're speaking into your life like how you, this is huge here, please listen to this, because we're about to get in Proverbs starting chapter 10 that repeats this theme over and over and over again. How you respond to correction reveals whether or not you're wise or whether you're a fool. It's, it's what the Bible says. It reveals whether or not you're dining with lady wisdom or whether you're dining with lady folly. How you respond to correction reveals whether, whether you're wise or whether you're a fool. Those who, are humble, those who are wise humbly receive correction because they know they're correct, that correction will cause them to increase in wisdom. So correct me. Secondly, those who are wise, secondly, the second characteristic, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. This is what Solomon goes on to say next there in verse 10. Look there with me. He says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And insight's a, kind of a synonym for wisdom there. So put all that together, right? In verse 10, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then you can't be wise unless you what? Unless you fear the Lord. Logic, common sense there, right? What that means then is this, this is important, you can be really, really smart, you can have a really high IQ, you can be really, really intelligent in a job in which you're solving the world's problems, but if you don't fear the Lord, you're not wise. Like you can know a lot of things, but if you don't know that God is the Holy One, and you don't tremble before him in awe and reverence, then you're not wise. Because those who are wise fear the Lord. So again, what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I kind of already said it. But it means this. It means you have a big, proper view of God and who he is. Like he is holy, meaning he is, an, he is in a league and category of his own unlike us in, in, in any way. He's all-powerful, he's mighty, he's majestic, 
He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's great. He's glorious. He's the awesome creator of everything that exists. And so as you come in or confronted then with a God like that, the proper response is that you tremble. It's that you revere him. It's that your jaw drops in utter amazement and awe of him. And as a result, it means you submit yourself to him. You submit your life to him. You don't call the shots anymore. He's all-powerful. He's, he's great. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's the one who's in charge. And so now you're, 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 just, you're just living a life in submission to, to him, to his commands, to his wisdom. And the rest of your life now is spent just in worship and honor and reverence and awe to this great, big, majestic, all-powerful God. That's how wise people live and relate to the Lord. They're not arrogant. They're not puffed up. They don't live according to their commands. They don't live according to their own wisdom. Instead, they fear the Lord and live in reverence and awe of him and submit themselves in worship and obedience to his commands and to his wisdom. And so those are two characteristics. Those are two reasons for why we should choose to accept Lady Wisdom's invitation and not Lady Folly's invitation. But here's the deal. The result of everything that I've just said this morning in other words, as we see these two characteristics this morning, and as we see these two reasons for why we should choose Lady Wisdom and not Lady Folly this morning, then the reality of these two should cause some conflict in our hearts. Like, I mean that. It should, it should be causing some tension in your hearts as we progress through chapter 9 here this morning. And the reason it should cause some tension and some conflict in our hearts is because everyone in this room, without exception, at one time or another, has accepted the invitation of Lady Folly. Like everyone in this room, at one time or another, has dined with Lady Folly. Everyone in this room, without exception, has chosen at one time or another Lady Folly instead of Lady Wisdom. Like we, we haven't always lived in the fear of the Lord. We, we haven't always received correction from others. Oftentimes, many times, we've chosen stolen bread and water instead of the lavish feast. We've acted foolishly and not lived according to God's wisdom, and instead we've lived according to the foolishness of the world. And we've done that over and over and over and over again. And because of that, if Proverbs 9 is true, then we all deserve to die. Like every single one of us. We deserve to be in that grave in Lady Folly's house because we've eaten there and we've dined with her. And it's really important that everybody here this morning, before we go any further, believes that and feels that in your heart. It's important to realize that oftentimes you're a fool and you deserve the judgment of the fool who dines in Lady Folly's house. At the same time, it's important to remember that this is exactly why Jesus came. That Jesus came to be the perfect embodiment, the incarnation of God's wisdom for us. In other words, he came to live the perfectly wise life that we couldn't live, meaning he never once chose to go to Lady Folly's house. He never once chose to eat with Lady Folly. He chose to always eat with Lady Wisdom. He always chose to live according to God's wisdom. But not only that, did Jesus not only come to live the perfectly wise life that we could not live, he also died the death that we deserved for all the times that we chose to dine in Lady Folly's house and for all the acts of foolishness that we've ever committed. Jesus came and he was placed in the grave so we wouldn't have to be placed in the grave 
for all our foolishness and for all our folly. But the good news is this. That's good news, but the good news even gets better. He didn't just stay dead. Instead, three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death, and he ascended to heaven where he went to prepare a feast for all those who would trust in him by faith. And I love how the Bible describes, especially in the Old Testament and the prophets of old, how they describe this feast that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6 says this. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Isaiah 55 verse 1 extends this invitation, this feast. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear what your soul Hear, hear that your soul may live. When we get to the New Testament then, Jesus, in many of the parables he gave, like in Luke 14, he compares the kingdom of God to a wedding feast. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he goes on to say that whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. When we get to the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 19, John tells us about a future eternal feast that awaits all those who have trusted in Jesus by faith. In Revelation 19, 6, John says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you see here, do you see how all these verses that I just read, that they or the, yeah, that I just read, that that's what Proverbs 9 is ultimately pointing us to. That Proverbs 9 here, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 9, is ultimately pointing us to, 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 to something more than just God's wisdom in principles. Instead, Proverbs 9 here and Lady Wisdom is pointing us to the perfect incarnation, the perfect embodiment of God's wisdom, Jesus. And right now, this very moment, Jesus himself, the embodiment of God's wisdom, is calling out to us to come and enjoy the feast that he has prepared for us. And just catch this, we don't have to bring anything to this feast. It doesn't cost us anything to get into this feast. Instead, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he's prepared everything for us. All we have to do is like just show up and come and eat and feast, and be satisfied. And so then if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Jesus by faith to be your wisdom, then this is the invitation for you this morning. He's inviting you this morning to come and be fulfilled and satisfied in him at his feast. For those, though, of us, who already belong to this feast, then the reality of this feast that Jesus has prepared for us through his life, death, and resurrection should compel us to do three things. And I close with this really, really quick. First, it should cause us to stop drinking and eating stolen bread and water. Like, why in the world would you do that? Do you just listen to what I just read and the description of this feast? So why in the world are you going to leave that feast to go nibble on some stolen bread and drink some stolen water? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Secondly, it should cause us to not be defensive and upset when people correct us. Like the cross has already corrected us. The cross has already corrected and exposed every sin in your life. 
And so then we, you shouldn't be threatened when other people come to correct the sin in your life. Jesus has already taken care of it. Thirdly then, the rally of this feast that Jesus has prepared should cause us to fear the Lord. Should cause us to worship and be in awe of him. Like, he, can you imagine that? The, the God of the universe has prepared through his son Jesus this fancy, delicious, satisfying feast for all of eternity. And he chose piddly little you to come and invited piddly little you to come and be a part of it. How can that not cause your jaw to drop in awe and wonder and amazement and fear and revere and worship him? I pray that that would be the case for us all this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you that we can read chapters like this and in some ways just throw our hands up in the air and just say, we don't have what's required to get into this feast. We're fools. We've done a whole lot of foolish things. We don't respond to correction rightly all the time. We don't fear you rightly all the time. Like, we deserve to die and be in that graveyard in Lady Folly's house. But praise be to God for Jesus. Lord, that he is our wisdom. He is our representative. He has given his wisdom to us. And he took the death we deserve through his death on the cross for all the foolish things we've ever done and will do in our life. And so God, I pray that because of that, Lord, you have secured for us a feast that will last for all of eternity. And so, Lord, help us to live lives in which we live satisfied and fulfilled and find our ultimate joy, not in the stolen bread and water that the world has to offer and the foolishness that the world has to offer. But, Lord, let us pull a chair up to your table and eat and be satisfied and fulfilled through all that you secured and accomplished and all the blessings that you've secured for us in Christ. And let us feast on him today, tomorrow, and for the rest of eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.